Hello, this is William Pink, and this is Christoginia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, September 16th, 2017. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Tonight we have something a little different. Tonight we are at the home of Clifton Emmaheiser in Fostoria, Ohio. And we have Clifton just about all packed up and ready to move to Florida. Where we hope he will have the, um, he will spend his final years productively and in peace and happiness, rather than facing the cold northern winters all alone. Tonight we have the, well, let me just say that tonight we have a long time, a, a family which has been longtime friends with Clifton Emmeheiser for at least 20 years, probably longer. And three brothers from that family, Tony, Dion, and Joe. And the family was, the family was, um, Acquainted with Christian identity long before they were acquainted with Clifton. We also have longtime friend R.P. Wake with us this evening. And we plan on discussing with them how they found Christian identity and ultimately how they found Clifton Emmeheiser. To start off tonight, we're going to talk with Tony. He, he's the oldest of the three brothers we have with us. And I hope that he tells us how he found Christian identity in the first place, because your parents are Christian identity and several of your other brothers who aren't even here with us this evening. Yeah, our family just seemed to naturally pick it up for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, I would say... Uh, listening to Herbert W. Armstrong when I was a, a child, or in my teen years, I used to, um, it used to catch my ear that he would talk about America and the Bible. And I, they went through a scandal and got taken off the air, and I never knew what happened to them. I just used to, remember I used to like listening to the Sunday program, and it was gone, and it kind of stuck with me for years. But uh, then I went back into mainstream worldly things, and my mom got tired of the Catholic Church, and she left. And my dad was never a strong Catholic. He just became a Catholic to marry my mom because that was the church rules. And uh, uh, I got into a little bit of Judeo-Christianity, and it wasn't really uh, getting it for me. And my dad come across Pete Peters and uh, from a guy he worked with that was giving him cassette tapes. So we... Uh, that's how we started out. And um, so you were familiar with your dad must have been familiar with Herbert W. Armstrong. I was. I don't I'm honestly not sure where my dad came up. OK, his background on it. He uh, I, I really I guess I haven't talked to him about it yet. I, I remember my dad just getting the tapes of uh, Pete Peters. Uh, but he obviously, I guess when I was younger, he must have been tuning into the uh, program because he had control of the TV tuner. So that's probably why I was listening to it too. I just this has been a long time ago uh, when uh, all that was going on. But anyway, um, I got in. 
uh, my dad would be out in the kitchen. He used to do a lot of the cooking. And I'd walk through the house and uh, I'd hear him listen to these Pete Peters. And I first I thought the guy was goofy. And uh, but every time I walked through the kitchen, I slowed down and I start. Next thing I know, I'm stopping and listening. And I'm like, well, this guy sounds crazy. But what I did is I thought, well, I was the mainstream Christianity, the Judeo Christianity. They were saying things that sounded good, and Pete Peters was saying this stuff that just sounded off the wall. And but for some reason, I was kind of drawn to it. So what I did is I got the Bible out, and I realized that the stuff I was hearing out of Judeo Christianity was a lot of motivational speaking. They throw a verse out here or there, but it really had nothing to do with the context of what they were talking about. So, but when I I was uh, looking at the Bible. And seeing that what Pete Peters was telling me was in the Bible. And it didn't make a lot of sense, but it's like I couldn't deny it. Well, if this is in the Bible, I can't, you know, walk away from it. And it's it just been kind of, it was kind of a walk from there. And um, so then uh, I started getting on Ted Wyland's uh, tapes and uh, Jack Moore, James Brueggemann. All so what on. year is this? Uh, it had probably been... Uh, Best of my knowledge, probably early nineties. And uh, all your brothers followed after you, so your father must have also followed after Pete Peters, right? Yeah, um, my dad got into it first, and we both got into it. And at the same time, we kind of got into uh, oh, I don't you want to say the shortwave uh, underground, like uh, Tom Valentine, Radio Free America. The conspiracy talk shows. Did Pete time. Peters point you with that? Uh, somewhat because he was on shortwave and then we started hearing these other programs. And, uh, so we realized not only was the local, the, the church was lying to us, the, your normal churchianity, but also the government and everything else was lying to us. We started finding a path of truth, not only in the Bible, but in other areas too. So you must have been a close knit family for that to bring your brothers into right your younger brothers i i mean and you know when i look back at it i don't know how it really happened i mean i suppose it was me and my dad talking about it and i think it just kind of grew on the rest of the family and then the next thing you know we're all talking about it that I, I really can't go back and come to a point where they came into it dion what's your recollection uh mine's probably a little bit different than that uh he's He's right on that point. When we're remembering 30 years ago. Yeah, I can't remember, but I can, I can, <laughs> I can honestly say, and I, what I'm going to say is probably my brothers have never heard me say this, but I remember it even in grade school. And don't ask me, I, I can't explain it other than it was Yahweh's spirit working in me. I look back on it now. At the time, I really didn't understand a lot of it, but I had a racial hatred. For, for these other races, I just, there was something in me when I could just look at them and I just had this, I had a hatred for it. And I, okay. So we're talking about the 1970s. Yeah. When I was in grade school, how, how much, I mean, I came into a lot of contact in Jersey city with niggers and spigs and the other races, but how much that we're talking about Northwest Ohio farmland yeah. here, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I remember, I said, this had to have been, pro oh, geez, 
mid seventies in a grade school, and they brought in. I it was it was I don't I don't know if it, it was a black or Mexican mixed. I just re, and I always remember that day. And I just knew he didn't belong because it was pretty. It was predominantly a, a small farming community. But, you know, there was no blacks, but there was a few, few Mexicans. So, so you felt intruded intruded upon. Yes, and even at that young age, although, like I said, being being that young, you really don't comprehend that. But I, I would say that was a start, and I believe that CI, it really comes down to race. You have to have a racial identity to understand it. And I, I'm, I'm going to say I'm kind of going way back, but, I mean, I always had a racial so do you remember when Tony, your brother, your older brother, was listening to Herbert W. Armstrong? Yeah. Now, like I said, I didn't follow it like he did, but I can, uh, uh, most recent, I were a place I used to work, um, a good friend of mine, his name was John, and we became pretty good friends. And he was really into the reenactment, uh, World War II. He was... Uh, uh, national, he was actually a national socialist, you know, and we kind of talked a lot, especially on race. Um, and so it, it became a pretty good friendship and, and we just kind of hit it off right off the bat. And he, we finally, I finally realized he said, you know, I'm, he was a, he was a Christian guy, but he was a national socialist. And even in my early days, I always had a, I don't know if you want to call it a sympathy for the, from the National Socialists, I just I think it was a racial awakening of what was going on over there. I mean, I I just had a sympathy for it. So really, the CI was not a big transition for me because I gladly accepted it. And yeah, we did start with uh, Pastor Peters. You know, granted he ha he had some faults, but he was a stepping stone. And uh, I look back on it now, it was uh, it was a blessing. Yeah, right. You I know, agree. It, it it was and. But pretty much that's kind of how it went. I mean, so did you and Tony listen to Pete Peters a lot together? Yeah, uh, we, we would listen. Yeah, we listened to Pete Peters quite a bit. I mean, and then we kind of spread out to uh, we have uh, James Bergerman and then Ted Weiland. And although, like I said, you know, at the time it, it, it was it was uh, I consider it, it was baby food. It was get, it was getting us started. But I think it was easy for me because I had that. I always had that racial conscience about me. Yeah, right. I mean, it was always there, even right. my younger, even when I was a young child. I I always knew they weren't us. So Joe's really the youngest of, of yeah. the you three, and and there's another brother younger than you, or or two maybe that accept personal identity. Uh, yeah, Matthew's younger than you. Oh yes, there's probably uh, what about four or five younger than me. <laughs> No, no, but how many accept Christian identity? I, I mean, there's Ryan. Those of you Ryan. What? Three of us. Okay, yeah, but three below me that's accepted. Uh, the three Christian. younger than you. Yes. That at, at least accept, even though they're not walking the walk, they're accepting the message. Exactly. So, what do you remember of the early Pete Peters days and Herbert W. Armstrong and? I, 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 do, I, I was young. I do remember Herbert W. Armstrong, but I think my, my I guess remember some watching thing was uh, watching uh, Jimmy Swagger on television, and I always knew there was something kind of wrong. I mean, you, you couldn't explain it, 
but you knew there was things in the room. Like you were sleeping with a whore last night. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know what? And like kind of like the almost thing. They were, these were kind of stepping stones. We didn't. And I didn't understand a lot of things because, like I said, being young. But like I said, after Tony and, and my dad listened to Pastor Pete, then a lot of things really started hitting the home, and you could see where all these pieces of the puzzle started meeting. And then we had our own, uh, you know, going up to a, a church thing, and one thing led to another. We wound up. We met with Cliff, and I, I, I was just telling Cliff earlier how I think one of the things I can really remember about him was I never seen anybody inside of a church ever stop somebody else and say, whoa, back up, Jack. <laughs> I mean, you know what, because you're on the wrong page here, but he's flipping out more things. I'm thinking, wow. This guy's spitting things out faster than I can comprehend. And I mean, it just, and it floored me inside of a church. I, I would never thought something like this would ever go on. And then the next thing you know, it just kind of involved in where you started reading more, you started seeing more what was really going on. And then you came into the picture, and it was like one, it, just, it was just like a big domino effect, is what it did. So you all listened to Pete Peters through the 90s. Oh, yes. Yeah. And. Wow, let me get my head around uh, around the dates. You you went to another Christian identity church? Oh uh, yeah, we had a meeting up in Perrysburg in a conference room, and uh, a guy I met at Pete Peters uh, West Virginia camp. Him and his family would meet up there, and um, that's how we ended up meeting Cliff because we were meeting with his family for a while, and uh, Pastor Everett Ramsey was invited to come and speak at our gathering. And when he put out the mailing, Cliff and, and uh, a couple other people ended up showing up. And that was the first time we met Cliff. 1996, 1995, yeah. maybe. Oh, oh, yeah, easy. easy. Were you all together? You were all going to, these, to this uh, meeting? Uh, me and Dion were for sure. I don't know if yeah. she was I would, I would later. Yeah, later on I came in. Okay, that's cool. Was your father going? Uh, on and off, not not a. Uh, actually, I think we've got a little bit more dedicated. My my dad's not a big uh, uh, church getting up on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and and you had a church in Indiana you used to go to. Uh, well, we got acquainted with them through the people that were running the gathering up at Perrysburg, which would have been uh, Jerry Wickey's church. We we got acquainted with some of the people over there, right, east of Fort Wayne there. Everett Ramsey, where's he from? He's from down Missouri. Out Midwest, okay. So these people in um in Perrysburg, were they Pete Peters? Were they following Pete uh, Peters? Yeah, uh, well, like Cliff always like to say, uh, yeah, they, they followed Pete and James Brueggemann. And uh, when uh, their father died, their oldest son took over the, um, or I guess our Bible study. And he, he was a good guy, but he worked. A lot of hours, and he really was very unprepared with the messages. And uh, Cliff started coming up up there, and uh, he got kind of upset because he realized that uh, what Tim was putting out was warmed over James Brueggemann. He listened to a James Brueggemann sermon and uh, kind of scratched some notes down. And at the last minute, he'd be still writing when he pulled up to the meeting to put a message together. And uh, uh, like Joe was saying, uh, when Cliff would come up. There would be a couple chairs at each table, and Cliff would take the whole table to himself, and he'd come up there with a couple briefcases full of books, and, <laughs> and he'd just lay these books out right across this table, and he had the whole thing to himself, and 
uh, poor Tim, he was so unprepared and he, he'd get into about three, four sentences and, and Cliff would stop and wait a minute. Did you check the Greek on this? Did you check the Hebrew on that? And he had so many commentaries and stuff that, uh, old Tim was getting frustrated. He couldn't get through, uh, a lesson. So but, uh, Christian was there to hold his feet to the fire and make yeah, sure he did his job. Yeah. Right? Yeah. They, so they, so Cliff became, he kind of became unpopular with the family we were meeting with, but actually he got more popular with us because, uh, I thought some of the stuff Cliff was uh, putting out was a little bit off the wall because it was stuff I never heard before. But when I looked into it, you couldn't refute it. But, uh, I know the family was, we was meeting with uh, didn't kind of see uh, things the same way. Well, Pete Peters is not very far removed from Herbert Armstrong. No. I mean, Herbert Armstrong is like an Americanized version of British Israel, teaches the Ten Tribes, but believe the Jews were Judah. And Pete Peters is the next step up where the Jews may, may not be Judah, they might be Canaanites and Edomites. And he teaches the ten tribes, but he doesn't quite get to two seed line. No, and yeah, the first time we ever heard of anything like that was from Cliff. And in fact, uh, the uh, this uh, non-universalist was the first time we ever heard that was from Cliff. I mean, we coming up to jail Christianity and getting into this, uh, I guess you'd say identity light. You know, we we thought that. All races were going, you know, going to heaven. We just thought the Israelites were, uh, you know, God's special people, but we thought everybody was going. We didn't realize that, uh, uh, that if the salvation was based on race till we met Cliff. And Cliff used to say, uh, salvation by race, not grace. And that was just the total opposite of what the Judeo Christians were saying. Right. So, Dion, yeah. Cliff and Emma Heiser was a perfect match for you, right? say um yeah it, it mine's like i said a little bit different take it, it we kind of come to the same point but like i said and i kind of like to go back i guess to my earlier years in school because i just had that racial conscience it was always there even though i think mom you know we went to some judeo churches and god bless her she i think you know she got us you know did the best with what you know what we were you know what we were involved in, but it wasn't washing with me. Uh, as far, you know, for, I, I, I even though the Judeo uh, churches were claiming universalism and these other races, I I didn't say nothing, but inside I was burning up. It just it would not let go. So you know, when we were going up to uh, Perrysburg to meet with the families, and and it was to meet. Uh, I believe it was. Ramsey, Everett Ramsey, and that's when when I, go, I met Cliff. And yeah, you could say it, it was a match made in heaven because me and Cliff talked. It, it was pretty much I didn't have the scholarly understanding, but the spirit was definitely burning. And so, you know, with Cliff, it, it was a blessing to have Cliff. There, there, there's no doubt about it. It's just a it's a neat it's a unique story how we kind of come about. Uh, where we're at today. Well, well, right, because the truth to see by message resonates with your spirit. It resonates with your spirit. Yeah. What, where these universalist messages are going against what your spirit is telling you. 
So yeah, so even though you got these this universalist, even Peter and some of these guys that were well-known uh, CI pastors, you know, they were trying to claim the other races were, were created or, you know, they had a, a way of salvation, which I just wasn't buying. It was, just, like I said, as far as me having that scholarly understanding, I, did, I knew it wasn't true, but I don't have the brilliant mind like that Cliff had, the scholarly mind. I, that, that's definitely a gift you have to have. But one thing, I had that, that spirit burn. And I felt, you know, I was getting truth. And, you know, when me and Cliff were together and talking with Cliff and just kind of getting together, they think that the puzzle was really starting to come together. And I had no doubt about it, uh, about these other races. And one thing that's kind of odd about this is this is way before I even met Cliff. You know, we were just like the infancy of, you know, we're kind of getting the CI and Pete, my friend John, who I used to work with, he was the National Socialist guy. And we got to talk about where do you think these other races come from? You know, and this is kind of odd because I never studied this, but we kind of come to the conclusion we thought that these other races were a creation of uh, fallen angels. They, they were a corruption of, uh, you know. Well, if they're not created by God, and they're yeah. not made in his image, where the hell could they come from? Yeah, I mean, so I thought, I think Think about it. that's kind of odd, you know. I didn't, you know. I think the spirit was revealing, you know, was revealing us, you know, these answers, you know. So that I mean, that just tells me, you know, the, the racial thing to me is probably that that's the fire that burns in me. It's, it's the race thing. So that's why, you know, Cliff. Then you know, it it it, it worked out great. So I mean, it was really not a big transition for me. It it, it everything fell into place. You know, especially with Cliff, because Cliff gave a scholar, you know, was very scholarly, you know, in, in his research. And, and I enjoyed that because he just wasn't saying stuff. He could document and tell you right where where he was getting his information from. So it, he wanted just spitting out words, you know, and that's what and that's why I enjoyed my Cliff. Joe, what were the conversations at home after you all met Clifton? Uh, I think a lot of the stuff was like, wow, I mean, his vast knowledge that he had. I mean, it was like he opened up so many doors to where they were just unrefutable. I mean, the the his his book and it, and his memory was just it's quick and sharp. I mean, it, it, I mean he's he's driving a stick with it. I mean, you you have that question. I mean, if he didn't if he couldn't find it right then and there, you give him a day or two and he'd be back with it and he'd be right on it to show you. Here's where you're going wrong. This is the line you got to keep following, and stay right with it. Don't don't bow, don't back down. Keep going with it. You know, keep your head high. And that's what I always liked about clicking me. He didn't back down from nobody on the things. And this is the way it is. And I mean, I mean if, if he if he does was wrong, you know, at least he was more man up. He admit that he made a mistake in this era. You know, I mean, like I said, I mean, we're all human. We all make a mistake, but it's believe he would rectify it and say, hey, here's where I had to change this to go to this. And that's, I guess, what I always liked about because you, you, your your inner self felt now you've got the answers that you've always wanted. But it's kind of like searching for a treasure. You knew it was in the area, but you couldn't, you just couldn't pinpoint where this treasure was at. And now you, now you, now that you've been knowing you, knowing Cliff, I mean, the, the research that you guys done and the and how you guys retain very, very well. I mean, like uh, it, it, it's, it's a it's a calling from Yahweh Himself. 
I mean, how you guys how you guys do these things? I, I wish that I could have, you know, uh, that type of thing to do that type of research. It was never in my vocabulary or my background to be able to do it. It's not a calling. We don't have to work in a factory, right? <laughs> right. That, but, that's what we do is we read books and we don't have to work at a factory. So so that's what we do, right? Tell me about your first meetings with Clifton Emma Heiser. Well, like I said, when he said salvation is by race and not grace, that really threw me off at first. But, uh, you know, after following him, it's like uh, I didn't understand the uh, that the old and the new covenant was the same. Hey, I, I'm, John seemed to be a little bit quicker on the draw, I was uh, I was a little more cautious. I when you know I was learning new things. I had to be careful. I I didn't want to make a, a wrong step, so I wasn't making any decisions hastily. I was weighing the evidence on uh, both sides there before I come to the conclusion. But I, I we ended up luckily you know we come to the same conclusions that uh, you know that. And that's one thing that bothered me. Uh, you mentioned the other night about the letter I sent uh, to uh, Ted Wyland, complained about him sending uh, Bibles to Nigeria. And what aggravated me about that was his uh, mission statement is mission to Israel. So why is he sending books to niggers in Africa? That's what, and it made me mad. And, um, I uh, brought it to Cliff's attention, and uh, I, I wasn't expecting Cliff to get on fire about it. But uh, he took it like a bulldog. He he really he really got after Ted when I uh, presented presented him with that. And one of the things that aggravated me about that was that Jack Moore used to do missionary work in Africa, and he stated in one of his messages that when you left an area. Within a year, if you came back, that all the Africans would go back to their natural state of living. They forget everything you taught right. them. They revert right to their savagery. So why would you send Bibles to these savages that can't contain the spirit of Yahweh? Why waste your time when there's people in America that need the, the uh, Bible lessons and resources? It's for them. It ain't for Africa. Okay, well, that leads me to the next question, and, and this is something that I, I, I thought about last night, and you were here when I presented um, Clifton's special notices to all who deny 2C by part 18, and it's evident that Clifton, while he did open Wyland's book and, and pull quotations from it, he really started out addressing Wyland after he listened to his tapes, to Wyland's tape sermons on Eve, did she or didn't she? And it was you who gave Clifton those tapes and started all that. Yeah, I I, I uh, unleashed a pit bull on uh, old Ted Wyland. <laughs> I didn't realize it, but uh, I I wasn't agreeing with the stuff that he was putting out. So I was running it by Cliff to get his opinion on this stuff and. Uh, we, you know, we were both in agreement that he was going in the wrong direction. And that was Clifton's motivation for addressing Wyland. Yeah, and that, that really, after that, he really straightened out a lot of CI pastors because he started going after everybody and straightening them out. And you, and they, they didn't like it. They were whimpering with their tails between their legs, but they couldn't respond to him. 
he he had when he crossed every I and or what well, crossed every T and dotted every I. He he had nothing to where they could come back. They would whine that they didn't like his message, but but none of them had anything they could uh, come back and refute him on. No no evidence. And in fact, that uh, I'll never forget uh, uh, be uh, Christian Reformed Fellowship over east of Indiana there, uh, Jerry's church. Me and my brother Ryan went over there one uh, Sunday when they was having a special. And my brother Ryan brought a bunch of pamphlets of Clifton's because he used to have a table in the back uh, before he went in the sanctuary uh, of different preachers like Pete and different uh, stuff. And my brother wanted to put out Clifton's uh, uh, material and Jerry wouldn't let us. And I was, I was taken back by that. I, and so was my brother. It's like, well, we couldn't believe that. I know Jerry followed uh, Cliff, but, uh, and now we find out why, because like, he really wasn't buying it. He, he was, he was going off with Ted Weiland, this universalist. That's why I didn't like what uh, Cliff was putting out. And he wouldn't let us put his information out for everybody to see. So the Jerry Wiki church has basically turned sour. On, on the truth. Yeah, pretty much. Which is unfortunate. Uh, I've heard they're doing other things like trying to rebuild Ezekiel's third temple and all kinds of crazy stuff and things that are not biblical at all. So that's, un, un, that, that's unfortunate. Y'all used to, um, when Clifton's prison ministry was at its peak with about 650 prisoners on a mailing list, you used to gather once a month and fold all the papers and stuff all the envelopes for them. And <laughs> yeah, we basically had an assembly line, and, and Cliff, Cliff made all the boxes. We had seven slots. Uh, we had four for the newsletters, and I think it was three or so for the uh, his uh, side pamphlets. And uh, we we would uh, have a stack of envelopes, and we just grab one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, shove them in the envelope. And one, you know, just keep going back and forth, and we'd shove them down. Yeah, we'd have one guy uh, stealing envelopes and throwing stamps on it, and we had we had had quite an assembly, assembly line. We did that for a long time. But that was more like a family get together almost. Too, it was, right? it, yeah, it was nice fellowship because by that time, uh, we weren't really meeting up in, in the Perrysburg meeting that much anymore. So uh, actually, we kind of broke away from that family and uh, was fellowshipping with uh, Clifton and finding, uh, oh, you know, every once in a while we'd have some other visitors uh, that would occasionally come down that were CI in the area and uh, help us with the mailings. But basically your relationship with Clifton, and, and I'm not blaming it on a relationship, it, it's just the truth. Two C-line is the truth. And that alienated you from the whole Pete Peters crowd and the people in Perrysburg and, and the Jerry Wiki people and all the people that were CI in the area, which are really like Tony said, CI light. Yes. Yeah. I, uh, what kind of got me in trouble up there really kind of broke me away. And this is probably before, you know, Tony and Russell broke away, but, uh, Oh, oh Cliff, you mean Cliff remembers. I put together. If I can remember, it was called, I think it was called Israel only. And essentially, me, I, I, I hit really hard on the race issue. And to me, it was a, uh, 
and I, I pretty much put a message that uh, that only Israel was under the covenant and nobody else, and not and there was no half breeds were going to be in the kingdom. It, it's for Israel only. So you were studying behind Clifton and putting these scriptures together yourself. Yeah. Now, like I said, working full time, it's very difficult. But I, you know, <laughs> I I just put a little something together. Because, you know, because I felt it was an opportunity to bring out the racial truth. And especially with, you know, Cliff, you know, with Cliff stuff, I was, it was, I was able to put it together. And uh, so I, I went up there and I just laid into it. And, and I don't, you know, and I'm pretty much a full bore on this race issue. But and, that's what we hope. You know, I write really deep academic stuff and hope that. People that, that, that don't do that, regular people, right, that don't study it that depth can digest it and spit it back out and, and study it behind us to make sure it's true and spit it back out in their own words. To be able to do that, you, you, it, if we do the deep academic studies, right, you can't take them to a regular Sunday church crowd. No. You can't. If you tried to go up and, and to a regular Sunday church crowd and read a two seed line treatise and all the deep scriptures and that they're going to be lost, right? Yeah. So you read the deep academic stuff and you study behind it and you come to own it and then you learn to repeat it back in your own words in a digested, simpler format. And that's what we hope people do in our work. And that's what you were doing. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a, I had a phrase, and uh, and I'm glad Cliff uses it. And don't ask me how I come up with it. I, and I just put I put out there. I said you're you're either a son or a bastard. And I guess that must have really struck a nerve up there, because <laughs> evident, evidently, uh, they didn't say it to my face, but there was stuff said behind my back that that they, they were not too happy with me. But you were only repeating what's in the Bible. Yes. I mean, yeah. you're a son or a bastard is right in Hebrews chapter 12. Right? <laughs> yeah, and I, I was quoting it. So, I mean, it's not like I was making up this. It, it's what, you know, it's the truth. And I guess uh, sometimes the truth is, is hard. It's hard to uh, swallow. But so following at the Clifton basically alienated you from CI light. Yeah, from CI light. Yeah. And that's another thing I kind of wanted to bring up is. You know, at, at that time, you know, I think that kind of that I can remember the Pete Peters, the uh, James Bergamans, you know, the Ted Wilens, they were, I guess you want to say they were kind of the uh, big wigs at the time. Now, if there was somebody out there preaching two seed line, I didn't know about it. But I mean, Cliff was just, you know, Cliff kind of come onto the scene and he, and he just, he picked up the torch and he was just, and he was putting these guys in their place because they couldn't, as Tony said, they couldn't refute him. Now they said a lot of nasty things about him. They would bitch about a lot of things he said and they would say it's not true, but they could not, they could not refute with any, with any scripture. They were just basically name calling him and attacking him, you know, That's on a personal level. Was all the time. But, but he, but they could not refute what he was pointing out. And so I, like I said, there, there's no doubt about it. I, I think Cliff was chosen to he he brought the torch up for the two C line at that time because I, I you really didn't hear much about it. Yeah, there were other people teaching two C line at that time, but not, not 
in an academic fashion like Clifton. I admit that that that's certainly true. That there are um, the Aryan Nations people. I, I don't. I just don't think that their work is that scholarly and presented well, without the politics stripped there in in a plainly academic way. And that's what Clifton was doing. He was just trying to present it in a plainly academic way, but without the um, the decoration and 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 the politics associated with Aryan nations or or other organizations like that, right? Yeah, there was two seal out there, but nothing like Cliff was putting out at, as far as I know at the time. So that I mean, to me, I think. I look, I look back at, I mean, I think he really, uh, he probably offended them guys because they, they didn't know as much as they thought. You know, here, here's a simple barber from, from Boston, Ohio, and these guys supposedly go to a seminary and they got, they, they supposedly got these degrees of great knowledge and really you found out they didn't know a whole lot. They knew, you know, they, they basically were stuck in a, they were feeding us baby food, but, you know, yeah, right. Well, the degree thing is just an ego elevation device, yeah. right? That's all it is. Absolutely. Um, we were we were ready for some meat, and definitely with Cliff, we were definitely getting some meat. So, Joe, what kind of effect did this two seed line thing have on your family? Uh, really, I'd have to say, I mean, it was uh, there was questionable, and there was some doubts here and there. I mean, uh, me, I think, were, were hit on me was. Well, Cliff brought up a lot of stuff from uh, uh, Mr. Butler, and when he'd ask for some of the stuff there, he had some of the tapes, and I'd listen to a lot of the stuff. I mean, when you're starting to hear things that he had done back, in, you know, back then, that they were he was preaching back then, and the same thing that Cliff was doing is like you know, you, you couldn't dispute the things. I mean, it was the point to where you you, you knew that it it reached the, it reached a part of your body, the point you, you knew that the the truth was being spilled. So, you know what? I mean, how you couldn't get this thing any plain and simpler than what it was. I mean, that, that's why I have to say with Cliff, I mean, he, he, he hit the nail right on the head with this one. I mean, it was a whole month for him. And I think, you know, Mr. Butler, I, I like listening to his stuff. I thought he had a lot of great information. And I, I just basically, I just stayed with it and just kept on going. We just kept using this thing. And before you know, I mean, our whole family was getting into it. I mean, with a point to where, uh, like I said, have our own little meetings and things like that. We have clip over. I mean, it would just go on. It, it, it just kept, it just kept prospering on from there. Not that we ever thought it was ever going to go anywhere. It was more the point of where it just kind of, it just kind of like, uh, it, it just it kind of went right, right in the air with us. I mean, it was, never thought it was going to get this far. Right. Because you guys aren't even on the internet, right? No. You're not on Facebook. None, no. of you, none of you have a Facebook account. I have a Facebook account. Like I said, Do you? I just, okay. I just we, I use it every once in a blue moon, but I just... But you're not mean, connected to, with other no. Christian identity people on Facebook. No. None of you tweet or anything like that. No. no. None of you are in a Christian identity forum. So, so you're really just like isolated here in Ohio, and you all work full-time. And, Pretty much. And, you don't really have a lot of contact with other Christian identity people unless it's unless it's through Clifton and and when I come to town or whatever. Exactly. So you're you're isolated except for your past relationships with these CI like crowds. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I'd kind of like to say something real quick. Uh, 
and it, it, it kind of bothers me sometimes. I, I feel like we're not, you know, we're not doing enough to further Yahweh's truth on, on the you know, CI here. But uh, it's hard enough to walk the Christian water right. and you have to work in the factory to make a living, right? Yeah, because the stuff we're exposed to, you know, me and Tony talk about this quite a bit. Uh, we're kind of in the trenches. Uh, you know, I know Cliff, they kind of been all, all that uh, made out work environment for a long time where, you know, me, Tony, and Joe, we're in the factories. We're working with beast. Uh, the this the morality. It, it's like I said. It the only two things that matter are sports and pornography, and then that's basically that's all these people worry about. So I mean, you, you're you're pretty much you, you got to be kind of careful. And I don't want people out there thinking that I'm out there screaming. You know, I'm carrying a Nazi flag and I'm waving a red flag. That I'm a you know I'm a racist because I you know I got to be careful too. You know. Um, I, I, I always tell Joe, you don't want to wave the red, red wave the red flag in front of the bull because you know I don't want to lose my job over this. But you know you gotta be smart about it too. You know I, I'm a racist, you know, and I I keep it to myself. You know only when I guess if push comes to shove, you know you get to that point. But uh, as far as this thing goes with Cliff, um, I guess I kind of look at it this way: is we were kind of the faces that no one really knew about that kind of got Cliff, you know, we helped Cliff. So, you know, you always said, you may not have been, you know, Cliff was putting out the scholarly paper, but you guys, you know, I, you know, without you guys, I think, you know, who knows what if Cliff got this. Off yeah. The I, I really believe y'all did motivate Clifton, right? Yeah. Cause so. we were the ones here doing the, yeah, like I said, we were boarding. We, and nice thing is we had fellowship Sunday with Cliff and we'd always have a dinner and, Always had long afternoon talks of fellowship, but I mean, we were kind of right. But you would bring back to Clifton what Ted Weiler was saying, what Pete Peters was saying, and Clifton is responding to that, and yeah. and that helps him find ways or do more research yeah. to find ways to refute what they're saying about yeah, you know, the universalism that they're pushing, or Eve did she or didn't she, and and crap like that. You're actually helping stimulate him to do his what he's done. So yeah, I, I guess yeah, I, I'm pretty happy about that. At least I can say I help contribute. You know, the clip voice said he goes, "Uh, you even cut pretty good with a pen." <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes <laughs> Let's talk to R.P. Wake. R.P. Wake. Clifton, R.P. Wake sold Clifton Emmerheiser a copy machine. That's true. Uh, but I originally uh, met him at a uh, CI meeting in Michigan, and uh, Jim Wickstrom, and I often said the best thing I ever learned uh, from that gentleman, and that's terms used loosely, was uh, Clifton. Uh, Clifton straightened me out. I was uh, two seed line. And, uh, you know, I was raised a Baptist and, and, uh, I found out about, uh, British Israelism and then, uh, Armstrong. And, but when I met Cliff, boy, the, the stars aligned and, uh. So you knew about Christian identity before mm -hmm. you met Clifton. Right. The uh, Herbert W. Armstrong, yeah. British Israel form of Christian yeah. identity. Nothing beyond that? Well, you know, Pete Peters, um, you know, Wyland. I, I knew all the, well, okay. those guys because I uh, that fellow out in Arizona. Uh, so you total you knew you, you were sort of identity white. Yep. And 
Matt Clifton by chance. Yeah, but mere chance and. Uh, uh, because right you sold copy machines. <laughs> no, actually, I, I, I think that's funny, right? I'm yeah. laughing. I think that's yeah. funny. No, I, I don't know if I met him, which which direction it went, but anyway, he straightened my um, my thinking out. He proved uh, things beyond a shadow of a doubt, and then I looked at what's going on in the world, and uh, the degree of um, downright skullduggery, uh, evil people. Uh, working to destroy people uh, in any way they can, and it came very clear to me. That's, that's, uh, so that's two real. two C line resonated with you. Yeah. Well, once you heard, once you got past uh, Genesis four one, uh, Clifton straightened that out. Um, there's, it's a right there. It's right there in front of you. And if you listen to uh, Yeshua the Anointed. And uh, see what he's saying, and all the examples. There's no other conclusion that you can come to. I often say uh, Christians can't read. Uh, average Christian can't read or doesn't read. Well, they're blinded by church doctrine. Yeah. When they read their Bible, even they're blinded by church doctrine. Mm -hmm. They only see what the church doctrine allows them to see. That's the that that's my observation. Yes. They can read the same passage you read, and, and they have this preconceived church doctrine notion of what the passage says, even if it's contrary to the language of the passage. Oh, as a child, uh, in Bible study, uh, I used to, um, they'd be reading a scripture, and they'd say it, it was saying this, and I was reading it, and I was going, that's not what it's saying. Uh, it took years, uh, you know, to study, can, uh, continuous study, and then meeting um, Clifton to really flesh out how it all fits together in perfect uniformity. There is not any um, scripture that uh, disproves another part of scripture. If you think there is, it's generally you're mis misthinking. Um, you got to have two witnesses for every. Um, Scripture. You have to. That's one of the things I learned from uh, Clifton. Two or three. There has to be two or three examples. It's like uh, the often quoted, "For God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son." Okay. They make it whosoever, but it's really the uh, His order, not the New World order. Well, right. There's two worlds that they don't distinguish between. Right. There's the world of life and wickedness. That's not the world that. Christ came to save. He came to save the world that he created. Patrick, you're new to Clifton Emma relatively. Yes, I, I mean, these guys have been with Clifton since 95, 96, 95, Yeah, I couldn't even tell you when. <laughs> yeah. 22 years, 23 years. Russell since 2002, 2003, I'm guessing. Oh, I Remember, I got him the copiers. But I got to see how old the copier is. Yeah. But I remember sitting in prison. I remember the letter Clifton sent me saying I he was so excited about this great new copy machine he bought. Okay, then it must have, you, you'd remember. I I didn't remember it that way, but yeah. But Patrick, you're relatively new to Clifton Emmerheiser and and myself, right? 2012, 2011. 10 or 11, yes. But you also came through Pete Peters, right? Yes, I did. How did you find Pete Peters? I was listening to other shortwave programs. 
And then his program would come on. And Why were you listening to shortwave? That was back in the late 90s. And I think more than anything, it might have been the Y2K hype. Ah. And I was wanting, you know, figure out what was going on in the world. I went across Peter's at first. I thought he was crazy. But back. So you thought Pete Peters was crazy? Yes, I did. So what do you think about Clifton Emmeheiser? Pete <laughs> <laughs> Peters was well, nuts. You're asking this 2017 me, not the 1999 I, I understand that. I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> so you found Pete Peters around 1999? Yes. Was Pete Peters pushing the Y2K, the no, end of the world? No, no, no. He was, he was saying it as far as... That's, that, I give him credit for that. Yeah, he spotted that and was preaching against it. I sat in prison as a former computer programmer, right, knowing that it was parse. But people like Jim Wickstrom were pushing that it was the end of the world. And that's what I wanted to figure out. I didn't know what to do on, when that day happened. I remember that morning, September 31st, I seen a guy at the gas station filling up a 55-gallon drum of gas. At that point, <laughs> I knew it was a parse. <laughs> So you found Pete Peters in 1999, basically, and you found me first or Clifton? You absolutely. In 2012, 2011, 2010, 2011, 2010. What did you do in the meantime? That's 11 I, years. I was following Pete Peters' ministry quite close. Shortwave radio. Uh, yeah, by then I came internet wise and was listening on the internet then. Okay. And I must say, I think Pete Peters is an excellent stepping stone to 2C Pike. I never would have got here without him. I understand I, that. I, I, see, mean, I see all of his faults, though, especially looking back now. I can divide the two. But how many Pete Peters people listen to Pete Peters that never see his faults? Absolutely. I know there's a lot because well, I run into them on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And you're not there either, right? You're not in social media? Not a bit, no. But RP, you're on Facebook. Not much, though. No, not much. <laughs> it, I, it, I found your site by being interested in Adolf Hitler, and I came across the Mein Kampf project. And at that point, I went across where you and Brian, Brian Rio, were doing the um, when you guys were no, you and Eli James were doing the two C line. Mm -hmm. Pete Peters was preaching how. TC line, you know, he was preaching against it. So that made me naturally curious. So you thought the guy that loved Hitler taught two C line, so he can't be all that bad. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but Pete Peters, what do you think about Hitler? I'm just curious. What did Pete Peters think about the all? He Hitler? thought his quote was he thought he was a loser. Okay, so that that's the um, Anglo American attitude. Right. A lot of those non two seed line identity people are Anglophiles, right? They love England and America and England and America can't do any wrong. That's the impression I get, right? From the one seed line crowd. That they love England and America and Nazi Germany is evil. They don't that they're more um politically minded than they are racially minded. So they don't see the real picture of what was happening with Germany. That's the impression I get. I wouldn't disagree with that. So you look through that, 
and were curious about Hitler. Yes, absolutely. And I was curious about TC Line. I had nowhere to learn it from. When I seen that you, in, well, not Eli James, he wasn't teaching anything. Well, last thing you were doing it, I had to learn it. I had to see if it was real. It didn't take long to figure out, yes, it makes more sense. So we have a whole room full of former Pete Peters people. I don't think very many people came out of it who were in it. I'm amazed at that because I, I, I didn't really know um, the extent to which these brothers had, had listened to Pete, like 10 years. Oh, well, at least. Ten years, at right? least. Wow. Mostly on shortwave? On tape. He had a tape ministry. The tape ministry. He had wow. a nightly program, too. Yeah. The weeknight yeah. program, one yeah. hour a night. Every yeah. every night? Every weeknight, yes. Did he do something fresh every yes. weeknight? That's a lot of work. Or I the mean, end I of his life, no, it wasn't. Yeah. He wasn't doing it all the time, and it wasn't fresh. Anymore. Was it news-based? Uh, it was all over the place. Health-based? No, no, I mean... Okay, so we did programs on health and and on news and Bible studies. Yeah. Yes, all of it. See, I could do Bible studies, but if I wanted to do a program every night that was a Bible study, wow, that would no. be a lot of work. But doing stuff based on health and news and stuff like that, mix that in, and yeah, anybody could do that. That's he did have a lot of guests too. I just say that if you get callers in, that helps to fill some of the time. Yeah, right. But he never gave him about another a minute or two, and that's it. Yeah, he cut people off pretty quick. Yep. Why did he cut people off so quick? I don't know. I don't think he liked other people's opinions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Afraid there might be two C lines. <laughs> I'm just curious. I don't know much about Pete Peters. I really don't. And then the other thing that he did was he was completely against using the term Yashua. Yeah. He said, if you want to use that term, don't come to my camps. If you want to talk to C-Line, don't come to my camps. I don't want you. So that's going to make someone like me naturally curious. I, I would hope, right. I, I've heard that he didn't like the term Yahweh. It, it's actually in a couple of his newsletters, I think. So I, I think that that borders on, um, to me, that's arrogant. If it's not blasphemy, to me it's blasphemy because I believe that Yahweh is the closest that we could come to the Hebrew expression of the name of God in our modern English language. That's what I believe. But even without that, it borders on arrogance to think that you know more than, than these people that can try to decipher these ancient manuscripts and just dismiss all of that. And, and insist that somebody use the title Lord or, or the, the name Jesus is ridiculous. That's arrogant. I want to say something. Pete Peters made the comment that Yahshua was not in the Bible, and that's why he wouldn't allow it. But there's a whole book called uh, Yahshua. It was it was just uh, why in the Joshua, change. Right, Joshua. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Uh, Corey, you're a newcomer. I mean, if you want to say anything, you you're welcome to. But yeah, sure, I could basically give my uh, my start to CI and um, yeah, your dad and 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 introduce you to CI, right? Yeah, and, and it really wasn't that long until I started realizing that this was the truth. To tell the truth, I hadn't even really read the Bible. I I, I just listened to the preacher. 
uh, spill his two cents about the, the word of God, and, and it really didn't have an effect on me, you know, in through one ear and out the other, you know. But um, I'd have to say that the origins didn't actually end with the Bible on my uh, awareness of, of the race. However, it kind of came from a couple of games I was interested in when I was a kid. Um, games? Yeah. Come on. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Uh, I saw my father playing a game called Caesars. Your father was playing a game? Yeah. Wait till I hear, wait till I talk to him about that. Uh-huh. Now, if it wasn't for him turning that uh, computer screen on and watching him build the city of Capua, I realized that there was something about wow. these ancient peoples that I had no idea, you know, really existed. Uh, it, it was just the start, because as I grew up, uh, I, I read books, I um, looked up pictures about who these people were, and I wanted to know who they were. Um, it wasn't until, uh, I think it was in 2013, I knew I came full CI around 2000, the end of 2014, but he introduced me to one of your lessons called Scythians, Parthians, and Biblical Prophecy. The Scythians I have been really interested in, but I virtually know just little about at that time. Now, the, the fact that they would be wearing Greek armor or using Greek weapons was beyond me at that point. But that, that was just a start that kind of piqued my curiosity. I wanted to know why these people were the way they were, you know? And, uh, that and, and uh, it's just the cultures that all kind of meshed together in the ancient world were similar. And I did not see, I had some uh, racial awareness when I was in high school dealing with punks, you know. I was a punk myself, but uh, it didn't happen until I got into an argument with a, with a Mexican. And I was just like, okay, well, uh, uh, you know, he's like, oh, white people are punks. I'm like, okay, well, what about you? What does your people have ever done for this world? <laughs> and uh, I named off a few things, but he couldn't name anything about his own race. But then he goes, oh, well, blacks made peanut butter and, and the yellow light. I'm like, oh, wow, we could not get past. Could not get past. Uh, Space flight. Yeah. <laughs> without without the yellow light and without PB&J. No. So, Dion, you try to spread this message, and you run into a lot of just brick walls, right? Yeah, pretty much up there. That ended. That pretty much ended my relationship. Say uh, that pretty much ended my relationship up there at Perrysburg. Uh, they, I, I, they said they didn't say nothing to my face, but I knew I hit a nerve. But I, I, I'll be honest with you, I had, a, I had kind of a grin walking away. Oh man. And now, now after all these years, you have basically no social life, right? I, uh, I mean, yeah, it's sense, hard, right? Yeah, especially yeah. It's right now. I I look back on it now, and I'm pretty thankful to Yahweh, even though it's it may seem like a lonely, you know, you don't have much, but really, I'm pretty happy. Uh, Cliff, like I said, I can't say it enough. What what a blessing Cliff has been. Really, just to our, you know, Cliff is more than a friend to our family. He, he is our family. You know, that's just how, I know, Tony feels that way. I feel that way about Cliff. You know, he, 
Now I feel bad I'm taking him to Florida. (laughs) (laughs) You'll just have to come down to Florida. Yeah, well, I know he's in good hands, and uh, I can feel better about that. But, yeah, I don't know if Cliff really realizes how how much he's appreciated by us. So so you have all these guys that you work with, and they just don't give a a, a damn about anything. Oh, no, if it ain't sports or pornography, they want nothing. porn. Yeah, and... I really don't bring up the race issue because it's. I, I always go back and think you gotta be as wise as serp, wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove because I, I could lose my job very easily. Right. Yeah. I understand that. You know, I so, do understand. So that. you know, people out there. Yeah. You know, you were talking earlier this afternoon about certain things that you might say that would cause you to lose your job. You want to run down that? I, I mean, you're working in a typical. Um, Midwest factory. Yes. Right? We're not going to name the factory. No. But, but it's a manufacturing factory, right? Yes. And it has several hundred employees, and it's union, but you have guidelines you have to follow. If you say certain things, you're going to get fired. Right? Oh, absolutely, so yeah. So you can't call a fag a fag or a spade a spade or what, whatever, right? Yeah, they just here a couple of days ago, they put out these... Uh, all these memos. It's a memo, and your supervisor hands not hands them out to you. And essentially, what it's saying is, you cannot say anything racist. You cannot offend fags, or so so. You know, basically, you can't call out a freak show when there's a freak show in front of your face. And that's basically what we got. We got we got the freak show, which one? And they can rub it right in your face, right in front of you. A- absolutely. And if I bring up anything, you know, Christian or Hitler, oh. You're automatically going to be, beat. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, you can't. And Tony can, he can back me up on this. I mean, they want, I know, you know, you can put out scriptures there and they just, they don't throw it in the garbage. I mean, they want nothing to do. Anything biblical, you know. It doesn't even have to be biblical. Yeah. Anything with truth. You can yeah. put a, just a news article that contradicts the mainstream news out and put it in the break area. And people laugh at it, throw the trash. They don't even want to hear anything about it. If it you. contradicts the mainstream news. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. If, it, if it's in the newspaper, it's written in stone. It can't be questioned. And if you have a different opinion, you're a nut. You're a nut job. I one time uh, I was reading the opinions in the local paper, and uh, I didn't know the guy was a preacher, and he wrote something about the Bible. And I was telling the guy I work with, the guy don't know what he's talking about, but you know. I explained to him why he was wrong. He goes, oh, you know more of so-and-so? He's a preacher. Yeah. It's like, well, that don't mean, I told him that don't mean anything. The guy's an idiot. You know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but, yeah, and we, uh, one of the guys we work with, and he's not in our department, thank God. Total freak. He's homosexual. He's got piercings everywhere, tattoos everywhere. Even in parts you don't want to look at, you've got. Uh, and and this is in in the the the, um, the northern Midwest, yeah. in a farm town. Yeah. You, you expect people to be really conservative, you know, pickup trucks and shotguns and cowboy boots and all that. You got these flaming faggots running around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I so it's not just Greenwich Village, right? No. <laughs> I, I kind of had a story I thought you might find interesting, a uh, little bit off topic, but uh, 
I was never raised to be racist. My mom and dad, we never knew. Even when, though they were CI, to an extent, well, they were CI light, right? People well, even, this is, I'm talking when I was uh, 10 years old, before we was still Catholics, before we even got into CI. Okay. Like, my parents didn't, they, we, well, we were never around minorities, so we didn't, my mom and dad really didn't give me opinion That's one true. way or the other. That's so true. That's my experience. I, I have a whole bunch of Canyon upstate New York. It, it's 99.9% white. There, there isn't a nigger for 200 miles. So none of them were racist because they never had to be. Well, what was funny, though, is my, my grandma, uh, her, my uncle was actually a Catholic priest. And my uh, after my grandpa died, she was living with my uncle. Is this on your mother's side? Yeah. And uh, she, she was in an apartment complex. And... Uh, there's all these blacks there, and I'd never been around blacks before. Where is this? Uh, it's Payne, Paynesville, Ohio. There, so, are, there are apartment complexes here? Um, this, this, this was open. I see farms and barns. No, this here, was right? like this, like 70 miles west of here. <laughs> okay. My uh, uncle was a priest at this church. And so we went to visit, and we went to the – and he wasn't – normally in a Catholic church, they usually have a house for the priest next to the church. Well, this place – Apparently didn't. He was in an apartment complex, and so when I went to visit Grandma, I was ten years old, and these black kids are running around. I never went been around black, so I walked outside, and this one girl, this black girl, is out there, and I asked how old she was. She said eight years old, and I'm kind of looking at her. She was like an Amazon. She was hmm. twice my size, and I was wow. ten years old. She was eight, and I was like, okay, well, I never, I. She was a Zulu princess. Yeah, and, and she wanted to. She want and she wanted to play, and she was on a bike. And I'm out there, and next thing I know, I'm running, and she's trying to run me over with her bike. Uh, I got mad and was yelling at you know what the hell are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm just goofing. Around. I won't do that again. I won't do that again. And well, it wasn't a minute later. I'm running, and she's trying to mow me over with her bike again, and. Uh, after that, I walked in my grandma's house or my apartment, and I didn't come back out. She kept bugging me to come back out. I said, "No, I'm done." That was my first experience with blacks, and they're nothing but liars and they're violent. And from ten, from that point, I mean, I was—I wouldn't say I at that point I was a hatred towards uh, minorities at that time, but I certainly figured out there was a problem that, that we were very different in our, uh, say, our. Actions are, you know, natures. So, so that was your um, your first acquaintance with somebody who wasn't white was those Negroes in Painesville. Yeah, and, and you clearly knew they were different. So, so that planted the um, that experience planted seeds for when you heard about those other races later on in, in your spiritual walk. Yeah, I think so. I, I I didn't understand it at the time, but uh, but you just knew they were different. Yeah, they it wasn't what the, the TV was telling us. You know, we're all the same and just different skin color. There was I realized that even through my uh, you know growing up that uh, our natures are different. Now that I'm older, I can understand even more. It's like uh, all you got to do is uh, walk through a white section of town at night, and you're go there's nothing's going to happen to you. Uh, go up to Detroit, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, walk through their neighborhoods at night and see what happens. It's a total different mentality. And we've seen that down in Florida with the looting. I, I didn't see one picture of any 
any one those, any one white person the, looting. Those youths weren't looting. They were rescuing those sneakers from the store. <laughs> yeah, they didn't want them to get wet from the storm. That, that's what they were was. rescuing those big screen TVs. <laughs> yeah, we don't want the storm to get the electronics wet. <laughs> Joe, what kind of impact does Christian identity make on your life? Is it hard to deal with people? Oh, uh, very much. I mean, because everything you try to tell them when they ask you certain questions, it's always, I mean, they got to they gotta buck you in the road no matter what way it goes. I mean, instead of just trying to listen, and I've always said, well, I said, uh, I said, in order to get some people to listen, I've always said, you know what, then go ahead, take the racial issue out. I said, you know what, now here's the evidence this way. If you want to call them live, call them out. You want to call them in there, call them in there. It doesn't bother me. But the fact still remains that still Yahweh's word is in, now how are you going to defeat this? And you know what? And that's when it, it really it, it, it slams the door right on them, and they and they don't know how to come back with it. I and mean, you leave them speechless. I said, you know, until you come back with with some other things, I'm willing to have a discussion. I'm willing to have everything with you guys. But you know what? You know what? Until that, you're going to have to understand the message before you can understand what what some of these problems and why they're happening of what's going on around you. And they just kind of give you the. Uh, Stare like they don't they don't know what to think of it. <laughs> I mean, the impression Dion leaves me with is that his friends or, or co-workers or whatever you want to call them just don't care. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot a lot of them. No. Like they, they don't no. they can care less. You know, I mean, that the sun never shines in their backyard again. You know, as long as they got that pornography and all their sports, you know what? That's all that matters to them. Tony, didn't you mention a guy that knew what was going on in Charlottesville was wrong, but he he um. He, he knew that football season was starting in a couple of weeks, and that would yeah. take him out of the yeah, world. Yeah, I, I walked up in the break room, and uh, not they got uh, TVs in the break areas now, and they got MSN running 24-7 in of the break area. Of course they do. Yeah, that's why I don't go to the break area unless I just want to grab a pop or something. <laughs> but anyway, a, the guy, was he worked the, uh, another shift, but he happened to become – he was in on overtime, and – they were talking about Charlottesville, and he was all fired up. And thought it was terrible. They take these statues down and all this anti-white stuff. He was mad, and he, and he doesn't realize, you know, he's just an average guy. He doesn't realize the racial message, but he understood that it was wrong. But uh, he was up, all upset about it, and he told me, he goes, well, I can't wait because in two weeks football starts, and I don't have to pay attention to it anymore. So he, he could just bury his head in his ass and uh, let the country go to hell, and that was fine with him. Watches watches monkeys jump up and down on football field. They'd rather do that because it it's an escape from reality. That that story that Tony just told, he told me this afternoon, and it seems that his coworker, who's oblivious to Christian identity, still understood that what happened at Charlottesville wasn't quite right and wasn't quite as the media reported it. But he only wanted to, rather than address that and figure it out, he just wanted to escape reality with a football game. Yep. So that he didn't have to worry about it. That's easy way out for them is what the hell That is an easy way out. That's what uh, sports and uh, movies and all this entertainment, most of it's geared for that. So it's like keep, a drug. Yep, keep people's attention off. off the, I, and another thing that bothers me, too, is when I uh, – uh, walk into any break area or uh, sometimes I'll go to a smoke area just because they're outside now 
And if the weather's nice, I'll walk outside. And you can't have a conversation with anybody because nine out of ten people in a break area got their heads buried in their phones. And I guess it'd be different if they doing something constructive with their phones, but they're they're busy looking at porn or they're uh, on their phone. Yeah. Wow. Or yeah. or they're uh, and they're passing porn pictures back and forth. Or, or they're uh, taking a picture of one coworker and putting another coworker's uh, head on on the other one's body and passing it back forth laughing. But just juvenile stuff, and and when you, you can't even have a uh, decent conversation because it's uh, like children playing with a computer game. Wow, and these are adults. Yeah, here 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 our country's falling apart. We we've got. We got these alien beasts coming right out saying they want to murder the white race and they don't give a damn. RP Wake, I know that um, two C-line Christian identity has cost you some business. Tons. Tons. <laughs> yeah. Tons. Yeah, it's, it's cost me a lot of money. Um, because you work one-on-one with people. Right. Yeah, and sometimes they'll bring up a, a topic, and um, I'll tell them the facts, where the where the cow ate the cabbage, and uh, they don't like it. You work one-on-one with people. You have a proclivity to talk about religion and politics. Well, only if they um, they cross the line, then I I go in that direction. If they they bring it up, I try to check my so battles. So you only will talk about religion and politics if your customers do. Nine times out of ten. Nine times out of ten. And you lose your customer how many times out of nine? Well, yeah, that's that's a real if they if they go into an area that's um controversial or they just really don't know what they're talking about, and, and that's most of them. And a lot of them um have been brainwashed and uh, they don't know history, they don't know what's happening, they believe all the lies in the media. And when you point out the inconsistencies in their logic or the, the thoughts that have been handed to them, um, a man changed against his will is of the pay, same opinion still. And uh, there's a quote in the scriptures where uh, where he, uh, the scriptures say that we're like children playing in the marketplace and uh, speaking to us smooth things, tickle our ears. They don't want to hear the, um, the truth of the uh, from Yahweh or from the scripture. He is willingly ignorant. And it's the same thing in a Northwest Ohio factory. If you don't believe everything the media repeated to you, you're a nut. Yeah, oh, I, I know they probably say, sometimes I, I might let my emotions kind of get, I get kind of boiled over a little bit. I mean, I don't blow up, but I think that I've had people, they can pretty much tell you're a racist. You're not, you're not, you're not a sheep. You're not a follower. And they can pretty much, some can kind of tell that I'm not following along that this normal life, you know, I'm going to follow the media or anything. They, they they don't know the depths of what I'm thinking, but they know that I'm not, I'm different than, than, than what they, you know, than what they, you know, what they're doing. Um, I have kind of a real quick story here and. Tony, you probably remember this because this is a long, this, this is probably early 90s. It was another factory I worked. And this happened to do with, with a, and it was a nigger. 
And I, I was not, it was two of us. I was, we was on a line and we, we, were, we were machine operators. And, it, and it's a line and it's got probably 20 people on it. I operate, me and him operate machines and, and they have people, they were called packers. And then it was just like a big assembly line. And, I, and it was a joke that I told my, my friend. Now, no one could have possibly heard this. You, know, you got to remember, it, it's noisy in there. And I just kind of said, hey, I said, there's, there's Angel Mama working on the line. And we just kind of joked about, you know, just kind of laughed a little bit, laughed a little bit about, it, and that was it. There, there was nothing more said, and we were just working. And not here, about an hour later, I got the supervisor come, come and got both of us. Do you remember this, Tony? Not offhand. Okay, I'll, you'll remember. Well, we got pulled into the office, and they had the uh, plant manager, like three supervisors in there, and one, one was, one was black. And and they and they they kind of stepped and they set us in there and we didn't know what was going on and they said well you know what you're in here for and we said we ain't got a clue they said well you were uh, harassing and threatening to uh, beat up this nigger on the line wow that's a little exaggerated yeah and the thing is we had and we're just kind of like looking at each other and we're like uh but I I was kind of shocked we're kind of like looking at each other we didn't we we thought I I asked them I said is this a joke and they said, no, this is no joke. Said she come in here and she filed a claim and said that both, both of us followed her into the break room and were calling her nigger and we were going to kill her. Well, I remember it now. Yeah, now, yeah. See, and the thing is, <coughs> we said, well, it, that's impossible because, and we said, well, how can that, how can we both be in that break room? Because someone has to stay back there and run the line and, the, and the, we had a supervisor. They would have known that. I said, we couldn't, you can't leave them lines for a half hour in the break room to do this. So she was outright lying. Well, I think after, you know, after some, you know, talking back and forth, I think they realized she was lying, but she was threatening a lawsuit against the company if they did not fire us. So they fired you. Well, they didn't fire us. Well, they were thinking about it, and I do think the there was a black supervisor that, that for why, why he was there, I don't know. If he was trying there to intimidate, he didn't intimidate me, but I he absolutely believed her. There, there's no doubt about it. He believed her. But they basically pulled us to the side and said, well, there's really nothing we can do. They said it's her word against ours, and we had our the supervisor down there and said it's impossible. It could not have happened because, like I said, who would have been running the machines if we were both in the break room? And, and she was saying, and then, then of course, she threatened to have us killed because they wouldn't do it. But, I mean, he, and said, niggers no. just get away with all kinds of yeah. stuff in the workplace because they're niggers. Yeah, and then, so, I mean, this was probably 25, you know, 25, you know, 30 years, you know, 30 years ago. I mean, this is, this is a quite a while ago. And today it's worse. Yeah, you know, today it's, it's a hundred times worse. So, I mean, that's an experience I had with the nigger back then. I, I just thought that was a story, you know, I, I thought I'd just share, it was, you know, it's just, it's kind of the experience, you know, but I thought it was kind of funny shortly after she quit, but I, I cannot prove this. I have nothing to back it up, but they have a feeling that she was one of these, uh, these niggers, they were going around into these factories and, and trying to get these uh, frivolous uh, lawsuits. That's what they think. That's what that was all about. Of course, like I said, this has been quite a few years ago. So it's much, I'm sure it's much worse now. You know, of course, that was a long time ago. Yeah, well, it's just interesting to see how, um, 
how Christian identity has has affected your daily lives, working in the factories and that the in in the Midwest. David, you're Mr. not um, Mr. Brother Bill. Yeah, how are you? you didn't come to Christian identity through P. Peters. No, I um, actually Yahweh did lead me into it initially. Um, I caught the uh, prison number and uh, started. I picked up a Bible and started reading it. And uh, I had another little book that went along with it. It was called The Daily Life of Abraham. And uh, <clears throat> so I got to reading about Abraham along with starting with Genesis. And then all of a sudden, I'm in this big you know, dormitory with all kinds of people. You know, all 250 kinds of, screaming niggers. I've been there. And I'm looking around and I'm reading Genesis and I'm asking myself, now, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that we all came from this from this one man? It is something don't make sense here. I mean, something just does not make sense. So, you know, this is no incident, uh, accident. Uh, I got sent to a prison. That was, that was the uh, the holding prison, you know, where they send you. Uh, then I got sent to the, my parent institution, and there is where I met uh, a so-called Pastor Dylan. And uh, God bless him. He brought me to the aware my, my racial awareness of... Uh, you know, of, of covenant theology, of, of the Adamic race, of the white people. Was he Aryan nations? Was he? Uh, he was Aryan nation. He was not AB. And I'm sure you know there was a, there was a difference a there. Gang. There was a, a difference a there. Yeah. Aryan Brotherhood's a drug gang. They're a bunch of punks. They're tough guys, whatever. I'm right. Not. Well, yeah, but in yeah, but in, but in prison, you, you know, you know, yeah, you're right. There's there's a difference there, and so. Um, I was introduced to the, to the, uh, earlier, um, the earlier doctrines, you know, the, how the, uh, the, the creatures and the beasts were somehow, uh, 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 the Negroes and the, uh, and the Mongoloids because we had three main races, the yellow, the black and the white, and somehow God created the Negro and the, you know, cause you know, we have to explain for that, don't we? And so, I'm under this impression all the way up until about 2015 when I'm, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm out and I'm looking through the computer and everything and I just happen to run across Clifton E. Heiser's Washington Teaching Letters. And uh, I began to read them and I, and I saw just, just how, I mean, just, just how um, open to failure i was the path that i was on you know i mean i'm basically opening the door up with that belief i'm opening the door up for just about any and every kind of you know i'm basically saying yahweh made the negro yahweh made and and well well that's what yeah you know wesley swift was had a split mind he was double-minded because he really couldn't answer all the questions and and also and well, they, they were, all these were great men. They were, these were all our predecessors. They, they were great men, right? And and but they were still not quite there. And out of one side of their mouth, they would say Yahweh made niggers, and out of the other side of their mouth, Wes, Wesley Swift would say that Satan brought them from another planet, right? <laughs> Dark so they were always divided and and never had a consistent understanding. 
True. And, you know, it's ironic. Uh, I even brought this issue to the, one of the, the Judeo pastors of, of several prisons, and they were vehemently told me, I can't see how in the hell you're trying to, to put that Enosh, that creature, into a mongoloid. I don't see how you get that. And I'm sitting there talking to him, telling him, trying to explain to him something that I didn't even have proper information on. That, you know, And so he was actually right, and I was actually wrong sitting there trying to tell him that. But uh, long story short. Um, so how do you find Clifton and Mahajra's watching his teaching letters? Look, uh, I had just You were searching online. I, I got out of prison in 2013. I was done with everything. And um, that's when I, I, you know, began to, you know, just begin life again. And um, uh, I got back into the scripture. I, I, I got to tell you, I, I got far from it. I, I um, got far from it. And well, tonight you drove across the state of Ohio to meet right, Clifton before right. we snatched him off the I look at it, you know, if I, if I, if I went to the lengths that I went to, you know, when I was in sin. I could at least go to any length for 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 what I believe in, you know, for for the God who's saved my ass a million and one times. Why? I don't know. It might be for this reason right now. I don't know because I'll tell you what. By by odds, I should not be here right now. I, I've been in a lot of very bad situations, and the only good thing that's come of it is this. You know, the Lord said, "Be wise as serpents," and I and I know and I know, I know the hatred of these these uh, niggers that they have towards us. What well, normal white people don't know this? Okay, these people are very aware. Okay. Oh, anybody knows? Anybody they're, they're, not, they're not ignorant know. of their you know of their their mutual hatred towards us, and they they they're very you know you you. We, People who have been in that microcosm community where we've, you know, been concentrated together with these, with these hate, hateful creatures, we have seen it up close, up front, and we felt it. Right. It's, it's so, it's so thick, it's heavy. You can feel weight as soon as you step out into the atmosphere. You can feel the, the weight of hate. Towards us, you it's, really know if you're white. You really know how much niggers hate you when you go to prison. I understand that. And, and white I people really have to wake up. They, they really have to wake up to this, or else they're going to get they're going to get it straight up there. You know right. what? And I, hopefully, it doesn't come to that. But white white folks got really got to understand that. You know, and I, I um, it, it really bothers me because uh, my own my own family. Kind of lives on the borderline, you know, and for some strange reason, they haven't crossed that one road yet. But everything that was on the other side of that road is completely demolished since I was a kid. It looks like a, a napalm bomb burned everything down. But for some reason, that one street there has been holding out very well. And they're old, so they're, they're going to stay where they're at. But I had suggested to them to move a little farther out, but they, they just aren't going to do it. Um, but, um, Patrick, you hold down a couple of jobs. Do you have the same experience with fellow workers as Dion has that they just are oblivious to the problems and, and follow the mainstream media and don't really care to hear anything 
that that conflicts with that? Not completely, no. But we did probably three or four years ago have to sign. You know, he's talking about his supervisor came around with leaflets telling them they can't discriminate. We had to sign something that we won't discriminate so that if it ever comes back on us, we can be fired for it. Wow. You had to sign a paper. Yes. They Fortunately, I don't have any contact with people for the most part. All day long, I'm up by myself. Right. So I don't have to talk to people, which is a blessing. So your employer made you sign a paper that you won't discriminate against people based on their skin color, race, and religion, bags, and anything. Yes. Any sexual other orientation. Involved, yes. Wow. And in my other job, they all think I'm in the clan, so they're all scared of me. <sighs> we won't mention your other job, but <laughs> but that's basically the general experience: is that you're beaten into submission. In, in your workplace. Yes. I'm not finding it to the extent he's talking about. I think it depends on, on, on the um, particular company you work for in a particular location. Maybe your company doesn't have quite the need to go to that extreme. I don't know if I would agree with that. I'm asking. I'm not stating. I don't think so. I've heard uh, places where it's worse than what we go through. I know uh, a friend of ours that worked for GM. They had to go through um, diversity classes uh, every so often. And, uh, you know, basically had to go through meetings talking about anti-discrimination. We haven't had to go through that. So your company, Patrick, hasn't gone to those extremes? Well, the one where he had to sign the thing, the yeah. waiver or whatever, I find that mainly only white people stick it out. If they're black or Mexican, a few weeks and they're gone. They can't take the. They can't, take they the can't do the work. Absolutely. Well, I thought they were here to do work we didn't want to do. They're not. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But they're not capable of it. So it's quite the opposite. In my opinion. Yeah, I guess it depends on 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 the their nature is to take the easy, low life. Yeah, of course. I mean, I, I know that niggers really yeah. don't work. They posture. Right. Niggers posture wherever, and look like they're, they're working and and do everything they can do to look like they're working, but they don't do any work. I've seen that a lot. Well, I guess that's a wrap. I I mean, it's been a pleasure talking to you about your early experiences and how you came to um, Christian Identity and how you came to to Seedline and Clifton Emmerheiser. That's been wonderful here. I apologize for getting here kind of late, y'all. That's okay. I got lost and actually everything went out. I couldn't even make a phone call. You had a long drive. RP, you've been quiet. Do you have any closing words? Well, one thing, um, I was working a job uh, load, unloading uh, train, trains, and my coworker was an Irish, and um, halfway through the night, he just quit working, and I had to tote the 120-pound bags of salt, cut them, and, you know, do them by myself, and um, that's a similar experience, you know, dealing with that situation. Other than that, uh, thanks, Clifton. Okay, I think that's Corey. One more shot, Corey. All right, well, uh, 
I have to say, when I eventually got around to cooking pork, uh, it definitely was some of the more advanced stuff I, I started reading into. Um, though my beginnings may not be as complex as everyone else, I, I still came to this message knowing that it was the truth. Um, this message carries a lot of weight, and, it, and there's a lot to be uh, studied. And, and um, Christ challenges us uh, every day. My challenge is simply to read and study thyself approved. Okay, thank you, everybody, and that's a program. I'll be here next Friday night. I don't know with what. We might still be on the road. I don't know. We'll be at least Yahweh willing en route to Panama City. I just don't know exactly when we're going to reach Panama City. I don't know when we're going to get home for certain. The um, departure date has been postponed until Tuesday. I might still be in Alabama Friday night. In any event, I'll have some sort of program here at Christagenia. Praise Yahweh and... Thank you for listening, and good night. Yeah.